calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is of gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello and welcome to this episode of CFA Institute's Take 15. I'm Steve Horan and I'm in Seattle joined by Cliff Cuisenberry at our 2010 Asset Allocation for Private Clients Conference. Cliff, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Cliff is Chief Investment Officer of Caravan Capital Management and uh, does a lot of research on frontier investment markets. And, and Cliff, um, I was wondering if you could unpack for us just a little bit what do we mean by frontier markets? How do they differ from emerging markets? Sure, sure. I think, I think the first place to start is really defining them. And um, actually, if you look at kind of the definitions by the main index providers, they're a bit subjective. Um, so the way that we actually look at them is really by starting with looking at all the stock exchanges in the world. There's about 130 of those. Start subtracting out the developed markets, and then those markets that both the kind of the main emerging market index providers define as standard emerging markets, and then what you're left with are about 85 exchanges um, and stock markets that we would consider the frontier markets. And so um, standard emerging markets would be talking about the BRICS, Turkey's, Hungary's, Poland's, etc., Frontier markets, you're really getting into kind of very interesting markets, uh, more like you know, a lot of the African markets, Kenya's, Namibia's, Malawi's, uh, you're talking about uh, Caribbean markets, uh, Uruguay. So, you know, very interesting Mongolia and Asia. So you're, you're mentioning a number of countries that uh, many of us don't have a lot of familiarity with. What, sure. what kind of return characteristics do these markets have? Interesting up until the uh, global financial crisis, they actually had about similar, if not better, returns, at least if you looked at kind of the main indices that, that MSCI and S&P provide, you know, as compared to the standard emerging markets. So that's been fairly good, um, and also with about the same volatility per country level. But one of the, the real interesting things about these markets is that since the drop, they did not come back and recover as quickly, which is pretty common with um, the emerging markets asset class, and I kind of think of the frontiers as a sub-asset class, that often the more liquid markets kind of money leaves them first. You have kind of a delayed effect with the frontiers, and when the money came back, when you had the recovery last year, you know, emerging markets are up 79% in terms of standard emerging markets, but the frontier markets were lagged. They were only up about 12% last year. And so in terms of return potential, we see that uh, as kind of investor tolerance and risk tolerance starts to improve, that people will start coming back, money will start flowing back in those markets. And, and actually, if you look at where you need to get back to kind of where they were at the peak, that's giving you about a 60, 65% return potential. So correlations among returns uh, for developed markets and even developing markets have really increased over, over the years. Um, what kind of correlations are we looking at with the frontier market? Still relatively low. So certainly the global financial crisis in the last two years, both in the drop and then the recovery, has really peaked correlations among these markets. But um, if you look at correlations to the U.S., for example, still relatively low compared to the emerging markets. So if we're talking about kind of 0 0.6, 0 0.71 um, uh, correlations to the U.S., you know, we're talking more about 0.5s and, and a bit lower. But I think more importantly are the correlations of the frontier markets to themselves. And historically, until the crisis, 
it was almost unrelated. In other words, if you looked at the the average correlation of every frontier markets to its peers, um, it was about 0.05, 0.06 versus emerging markets historically were 0.25. Now, now, this, now the emerging markets correlations have started to rise to a higher level, more like the 0.65 area. And frontier markets after the crisis, if you look over the last few years, 60 months, um, they're at about a 0.25 correlation. So still fairly about half the cross-correlation of, of the typical standard emerging markets. Uh, some folks would argue that in uh, developing and developed markets, we're actually starting to see some very real political risk. But yeah. are, are there are there unique risks, political, liquidity, otherwise, in these uh, yeah, frontier markets? There can be some unique risks. Certainly, I, you know, the interesting things you look at the landscape today. You look at Thailand. Uh, you look at what's look what's going on with Israel and Turkey, and you know those type of risks are in the emerging markets, and you'll find them in the frontier markets as well. Um, I think uh, one of the kind of unique risks that we see a little bit more, and it just happens to be how the frontier markets are defined, there tends to be much more representation by the Gulf markets. Um, And one thing that uh, you'll see is because they tend to peg to the U.S. dollar, um, depending on what happens to the dollar now, it's been beneficial. But if the dollar were to weaken significantly, they'd be importing inflation. And that's kind of a risk that's maybe a little bit more unique to the frontier markets that we've noticed. Uh, that introduces the specter of currency risk. So uh, do, do you hedge the way that risk, or do you want it? Um, we actually want it. Um, if you believe in the thesis that these frontier markets are fast-growing economies and they're growing at about 5% a year in terms of their, their average kind of real GDP growth, um, that's about the same as you see with emerging markets. If you include the BRICS, if you take them out, it's actually beating the BRICS. I'm sorry, beating the standard emerging markets. Um, so if you believe that thesis, one of the things that you tend to believe in is that over time, these currencies will strengthen um, just from the economic uh, growth in these economies. Uh, so we actually like taking on that exposure in a sense, but also um, we believe that it's part of the diversification. So we actually like that there's some currency uh, variation. It helps us, and it is actually a part of that lower that lower correlation coefficient that we were talking about. So you made the argument that there's a uh, reason for um, return enhancement, there's diversification benefits. So uh, in the overall portfolio context, what kind of allocation would you recommend? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> you know, certainly we're biased. Um, what we've seen is uh, we've done some studies and looked at it historically. And if you kind of do a typical kind of risk-return kind of efficient frontier, you're getting answers. And, I, and I'm looking really just kind of within the emerging markets asset class. So how much would you allocate to frontier markets vis-a-vis emerging markets, the standard emerging markets? And, and our studies are shown it's really actually pretty significant. It's like 30 to 50%. I think in reality, because there are some liquidity constraints um, and, you know, you're dealing with historical data, uh, what we're finding is that kind of the more aggressive uh, potential clients or, or existing clients are looking at more kind of a 25% mix to frontier with 75% to the standard emerging markets. So when the rubber hits the road, how does an individual investor that wants to make this part of their portfolio, how do they make that happen? Well, there are some ETFs available. Uh, they're typically very golf weighted. There's actually a, uh, an ETF that Claymore has put out, but it's, it actually has a lot of its weight in Chile and Poland, which we don't consider frontier markets. And so that's one of the challenges that individuals find is that um, they really don't have a great access to what I would consider the true frontier emerging markets opportunity. Um, so, uh, you know, there are some hedge funds out there, we being one of those, but then you have to meet kind of usually the accredited investor status to be able to invest in that. But it is a, a very difficult market. These are very difficult markets to invest on your own. 
Um, and often, if you're going to find uh, somebody that's that's doing it, well, you're going to have to pay a fee, and, and it's going to be a little more expensive than an ETF. Yeah, yeah. Well, Cliff, thanks so much for joining us and uh, sharing these great insights on frontier markets. All right, thank you. And thank you for joining us. To browse our collection of other multimedia products, visit us on the web at cfawebcasts.org. Copyright 2010, CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.